Matthew 24 tonight, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 24. And I definitely need to pray for this one. This is a end times prophecy, probably tomorrow kind of stuff that's happening and uh, happening right in front of our eyes. So um, there's a lot here in this chapter, a lot of prophecy, a lot of um, a lot of symbolism going on here. So anyway, we'll pray and we'll dive into this and work our way through this chapter and see how far we get. Lord, we thank you for uh, as has been prayed, um, this the opportunity to meet in this building, on this land, in this location, in this town, in this state, in our country, the freedom to worship you where this has been outlawed in many other countries. Um, but here we have the freedom to do this with uh, very little persecution, just maybe some funny looks once in a while. That's all we have right now. Lord, help us to take full advantage of this freedom and to study and to absorb and to let your Holy Spirit speak and to keep that fire burning within us. Help us not to become complacent, um, but to be ready to give a reason for the hope which lies within us. Um, So we thank you for the time to study your word, and we pray your Holy Spirit would fill this place, fill our hearts, fill the Sunday school ministry and the teachers there, keep us all safe, but more importantly, that we would know your word when we leave, we'd be closer to you and... um, just be better. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, you sit there, as, y'all, as we all do, and it, how many times have we done this? You know, how many times have we sat on a Wednesday night or sat on a Sunday and had a Bible study and read the Bible and read this specific chapter? And how many times have we um, sang these songs and all these things? And um, it, it, can, it can be... I can see where growing cold, it could be easy to do. The reason I bring that up is that's in this chapter, is that we grow cold. Um, And the best description, I think, was Spurgeon when he said, it's like all the light in the world, but it's coming from the moon. There's no heat attached to it. There's light, um, but there's no heat. The light of the gospel can be given in such a way that there's light, but there's no heat attached to it. It's a cold gospel. It's a cold song that we sing. It's a cold Bible study. It's a it's monotony. It is, and so this chapter comes up, and it's just amazing. I think how God has us here on Wednesdays, and then on Sundays we're in Ezra, where they're rebuilding this temple that we're talking about. The temple we're reading about here in chapter 24, the one that Jesus last week just said, I'm leaving your house to you desolate. I'm leaving the temple. I'm not coming back. And he walks away in such a way that they say, they can tell by his demeanor that he's really not going back there. Now, he means eternally. He means like he's God come in the flesh. They think like he's not going to come back to teach in the temple anymore. This is the very temple that just a few weeks ago on, on Sundays, they were weeping over the reconstruction. They were so excited that they were coming back from Babylon and to worship God in spirit and truth. They were on fire, you know? And Nehemiah is just going to get better and better on Sundays as we go through that. And he's on fire and they're on fire and they're all weeping and crying at the word of God. I mean, it's just amazing the contrast between what Nehemiah is going to teach us here on Sundays and what the temple has become now and what Jesus is seeing. So as Jesus left the temple last week, 
and says, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. And he's speaking of his second coming. It says in verse 1 of chapter 24, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. One of the neatest pictures Scripture has to offer. It's typical of these guys. Do you remember when Jesus says that um, they're going to arrest me, they're going to take me away, and I'm going to be, I'm going to die, and all? And Peter says, "Not so, Lord." You know, tries to encourage him. Don't be so downhearted. Come on, don't be, don't be so depressed. Cheer up. And he said, "Get behind me, Satan." You don't understand what's happening. You're not seeing it like I'm seeing it. The same thing's happening here as he says, I leave your house to you desolate. And all the guys, you know, because that's what they do. They follow Jesus. They're like, yeah, desolate. You know, and they're following Jesus out of town going, hey, you know, what just happened? And in typical form, the disciples say, Jesus, let us show you something. How arrogant. Teacher, teacher, teacher. I know. <laughs> That was a big deal back there. It was a lot, man. You should have seen their faces. But look at the temple. What do you mean? One stone. Do you not see the temple? Do you not see? And that's why Jesus responds, do you not see? That's why he says that. They showed him, and he says, no, no, no. I'm not the one that has to have sight here. I'm not the one who's blinded. I'm not the one who's unaware of what the future is about to bring upon this place. You're the ones that need to have your eyes open. You're the ones that need to be spiritually awakened. You don't understand. This place is empty. The Holy Spirit, not here. I'm not here. My Father's not here. Nothing is here anymore. It's a big, empty, giant building of worthlessness. Because all that makes this place worth anything is when God's there. And he's not anymore. He's left it to you desolate and empty. And there's still, there's 10,000 priests working this thing. Busy, 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 busy. Everybody's going, all the white hats and the things and the sacrifice and the smoke and all the, you know, whatever prayers are going on and the big phylacteries on top of their heads. You know, remember we talked about that? And Jesus is like, it's a show. There's nothing there. It's empty. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. Several times, Paul likens the temple and the building of the temple to us. That Jesus is building for himself a holy temple. And how important it is, no matter what we look like on the outside, remember how depressed Ezra and Zerubbabel were in the sense that things are not progressing in the building of this temple as fast as we thought it would go. It's not going like it. There's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of pushback. We want to build it. We're, we're laying the foundation. We're, but the gates are burned, and the wall's not getting finished. They got a little tired, and now Nehemiah comes in to boost them, and, they, and they're going to finish the project. It's going to go well. And they're going to weep and mourn and, and worship, but it's tough going at first. We have to make sure that we're the temple. I mean, this is just a building that we meet in, and we're very thankful for it, of course. But, but nobody cares about this place if we're not here. No, no, nobody should, because that's why this place is built. We built it because people needed a place to have shelter. 
We didn't build it to idolize it or to worship it or to maintain it. There's a lot of maintenance (laughs) that needs to happen. No, we built it because we needed it, because people needed shelter to worship God. If there's nobody here to worship God, what's the point? And that's what Jesus is getting at. You guys are still looking at the temple. In fact, it's going to get so bad that God's going to work it out that in 40 years from now, there's going to be a giant rebellion. The Jews are going to rebel against Rome because Jesus didn't do what they thought he was going to do. They didn't take over. He didn't remove the Roman yoke, any of the suffering. Everything still goes on. He came to save them from their sins, not save them from Rome, but they thought otherwise. So they're going to rebel and do it in their own strength, and they're going to get squashed hard by Rome. When Titus Epiphanes comes in, and although he told his soldiers not to burn the place down, they do burn the place down, and all the gold on the inside of this temple melts, goes between the cracks until he says, fine, you burnt it, get me that gold. And they're going to flip over every single rock to get out all the gold, and they're all mad at Bob, who shot the arrow full of fire, you know, Bob. Now we got to work all day and weeks to get this gold out. And in so doing, God says, I'm taking away anything that you could ever hope or place your hope in physically. I'm removing these stones that you seem to think are so amazing. It's a big deal. What he just said there is a very convicting statement for me. As he goes through these statements throughout chapter 24, explaining what it's going to be like in the last days and how the love of many is going to grow cold, buildings, churches get cold. And that's what we see in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 as Jesus writes seven letters to seven different churches about how they've become cold. Well, two of them are okay, the persecuted church and then also... Um, the Church of Philadelphia, they've got a little bit of power and a little strength, and they've not forsaken Jesus. They're okay. But for the other five churches, he's standing outside knocking, wanting to come in. That's how cold they are to him in the gospel. That's not a good ratio. That's not a good percentage of churches. Two out of seven are actually functioning as they should. So we have to pay attention to this. Because I can collect another Wednesday Bible study. I, could, I can teach another Wednesday Bible study. I can teach another Sunday. And then get in my car and go home and go work on my land or fix a fence or go do something. You know, the other things that got my mind going. Got the Bible study out of the way. That's over with. Now I can move on to the next thing. One of these days, there's not going to be a next thing. You know? There is no other task. There is no list. There is no next thing. It's done. Time is over. I mentioned that to Bo today. I said, oh, I don't know, buddy. The world's coming to an end anyway. He goes, look at me. Haven't heard me say that, matter-of-factly, for a while. (laughs) And he says, well, I was kind of hoping I was going to die, Dad, before the world came to an end. And I forget, I'm talking to a 10-year-old, so I probably need to put a little explanation along this. Well, no, of course, son, it'd be nice and all that. I said, but, you know, Jesus is coming. He's coming. I gotta remind myself to tell my kids that Jesus is coming. I'm a pastor. It was the last time I told them that none of this stuff matters for the most part. I mean, we gotta maintain and occupy till he comes. But remember, the purpose of all this is to prepare our hearts and prepare the hearts of all those around us for the coming of Jesus Christ. The age of grace coming to an end and heaven beginning and this earth and all that's in it vanishing and perishing and falling away. It was a good time for this chapter. 
Verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? This is news to them. I don't think they meant to pose three or two different questions. I think they kind of said, what are you talking about? When is all this stuff you're saying? Because they still think he's going to overthrow the Roman government and they're going to, he's going to establish his authority. James is going to sit over here. John's going to sit over here on this other side. We've got, our, you know, we've got a theocracy going here and you're going to be the king and I'm going to be like the, like the second king or vice king or whatever. And they all had these plans. And he's talking about the place where they thought they were going to set up their administration in the temple. It's going to be flipped. This is news to them. And so Jesus, hearing this question, is going to straighten this out. Look, this is not one big thing. We are in a process here. First things first, I have come, as the prophecies have told you, to die for the sins of the world. My second coming is about judgment, not right now. This is different. I'm trying to take away your judgment from you, that you don't have to die for your sins. I'm going to do it instead of you. So he's got to straighten some doctrine out here, get these things fixed. So he answers and says to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So the first thing he tells them is, here's what you don't worry about. Here's things that are going to happen, and they're supposed to happen, and I want you to know they're going to happen so that when they happen, you know that I knew, and it's not a surprise, and it's not time to panic, is what he's trying to explain to them. There is no theocracy being established right now. I'm not going to rule and reign right now. I am going to rule and reign in heaven, for sure, but I've got to die first. Make sure that you're not deceived. It's the first thing he tells them, because when he says something like that, it means he can be. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to say that he's the Christ, and there's the Christ, and over there's the Christ, and he's over here's the Christ. Don't believe him. He's going to explain why. Nobody's going to have to tell you that Jesus has come back, is what he's getting at, and he'll explain that here in a minute. But if you have to hear it secondhand or get a tweet or get a Facebook post, hey, Jesus showed up, he's in Utah or you know wherever. No, 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 no or Springfield, or wherever he's supposed to come down. No, no, no. You'll know. So don't be deceived by those people. You're also going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. This is the human condition. We will be fighting each other perpetually. Things will get worse. There'll be bigger wars, more wars. Watch out for that. But the fact that we're at odds with one another just shows our sin nature is bubbling up and getting worse. And that's, that's going to happen, he says. Don't be troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In Revelation chapter 1, as John is writing on the island of Patmos after the destruction of the temple, he gets the vision from God about the end times and what it's going to look like in the great tribulation, the rapture, all of it, after the temple is destroyed. He says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, Jesus, to show his servants, that'd be John, things which must shortly take place. And the word shortly there means quickly. Labor pains, they're described as. Things are going to begin to happen. You're going to see a war. Then you're going to see a couple more wars. Then you're going to see three or four, five, six, seven wars. And it's going to be like labor pains. It starts off with a twinge in the back. That's odd. Never felt that before. This is unusual. Anybody feel that in 2020? 
<clears throat> what was that? What was that weird year? You know, we, there's another one coming. <laughs> I don't know if we should be getting our clocks out and start timing them and seeing how far apart they are. But there's another one coming. 2020 was not just an accident or just a, an anomaly. We're going to feel another birth pang and another. And here's the thing. We're, as Christians, not to be troubled by these things. And I can't believe how many were troubled by these things. We're called not to be troubled. We're called to know, ah, there it is. There it is. Here's another one. Now, I don't grin at the fact that, yeah, here comes judgment. No. It gets me going, though. It gets me thinking the right way. It gets me thinking about the future. It gets me thinking about eternity and how fragile all this is. It's a wonderful thing to happen. I love it when things shake us out of our apathy and our complacency. The end's not yet, he says. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, that's the beginning of it all. The great tribulation is far worse than what he's describing here. These are things to let us know that it's coming. But these aren't the actual, that's not the actual tribulation. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. <laughs> Is anybody not offended anymore? Even the people that say they're offended are now offended at the people who are helping them not be offended. Everybody's offended. You can't say anything right anymore. Nothing is, nothing is accepted. Everything has a, an irony to it or, a, or a, uh, there, there's something subliminal about what you're saying. It's all, it all, it's all, you know, no matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you say. You can't even say the right thing anymore. Many will be offended. They're going to betray one another. Boy, are they ever. Just eating and devouring one another for the sake of not being woke enough, you know, or woke in the right direction, or their intersectionality is too low on the pyramid of intersectionality, you know. What are you? Well, I'm a white female. Oh, you know, you've got white privilege. Well, I'm a black female. Oh, but you're not lesbian? I'm a black lesbian, white, fe- wait, can't be white and black the same, you know. And you try to get this intersectionality to where you're the most oppressed person. I'm the most oppressed. Everybody bow down to the most oppressed kind of thing. Amazing. God's word coming to pass. Everybody's offended. Everybody. And they'll betray one another and we'll hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because... Lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. And there's a cause and effect there. I felt that. When they start talking about defunding the police, they start talking about letting these riots go on, and there was no interaction, there was no, there was no proactive policing, there was nothing going on. It was just, they were just left the citizens to fend for themselves. Most of me said, fine. That's fine. They're going to meet somebody they never thought they'd meet at my house if they came to my house. 
the thoughts that came through my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be great if the cops didn't interfere. I wouldn't have to worry about what I'm about to do to anybody that tries to hurt my family or whatever. We saw guys, Christians, uh, lead singer for, um, oh, what's the band? We saw him a billion times. Um, John Cooper. Skillet. Sitting there in the dark, live casting, saying, yeah, about two houses down or two, two streets down. He's the lead singer with his AR in his hand. Yeah, they're about two streets down. Uh, riding down there, I'm, I'm, but I'm ready. I don't know what else to do. The cops are nowhere to be seen, but if they come to my house, you could just feel the coldness all of a sudden. It's just, and I'm not saying it wasn't justified. I'm not, I'm not bringing him down. There was a sense that because there was lawlessness, there was like a, okay, I guess I have to do what I have to do to protect my family then, since there is no enforcement right now. You could feel that, and that's just a, that's just a twinge. That's just a, a minor thing compared to what's coming. The love of many will grow cold. I have to guard my heart against that. Growing cold. Not that I wouldn't defend my family. Not that I wouldn't do what I have to do to protect my loved ones and those um, I'm called to that. Defend the fatherless and the widow. We're called to do those things. I, but to do it coldly is the danger. To come to church with that attitude and bring that, you know, with the gospel. It makes it cold. Um, there's no love for the sinner because the sinner is a threat. And I've got it in my mind that if the threat comes to my door, ministry is the last thing on my mind. You can see how the lawlessness produces coldness. It puts you in a different mindset. And that's why he says in verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Don't let your love grow cold. Don't become apostate and walk away from Jesus. Don't forget your faith. Don't. It's ridiculous, I would say that on a Wednesday night to a bunch of people that decided to come to church, right? That's exactly who he's talking to is us. We're the ones that are on fire for the Lord or, or want to be. But the danger is that the fire in us that God has given us by his Holy Spirit can become quenched. And so he warns us about it. He warns the disciples. I mean, if anybody had it down, those guys had it down better than we did or do. But he warns them. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. And so he says to his guys, look, there's a lot of work to be done before what you're talking about is going to take place. First things first, you 12, first of all, I've, I'm going to go die. <laughs> and then I'm going to rise again three days later. And then you're going to wait in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost where you're filled with the Holy Spirit and can finally minister in my strength and not in your own strength. And then you're going to go out into the further, you know, eventually. In Jerusalem and Judea and the farthermost places, and you're going to preach the gospel. So there's a lot of steps that have to happen here before we get to this place. He's trying to explain that to them. He's straightening, straightening out their doctrine. They're, they're thinking, well, we're going to go to the temple. When is it? Is it next week? Is it a month from now? Oh, no, guys, no. That's why he says, do you not see? Because I'm looking at what's going to happen in the future and what has to happen, and you guys aren't thinking like I'm thinking. You're not where I am, and he's trying to bring them there. And I have to be careful that I'm not that kind of way with that I'm not that way with Jesus when he's trying to talk to me. He says to me, and he says to the world, the wages of sin is death, right? I need to believe that. 
It's an absolute certainty that your wages of your sin, the payment you're going to get for your sins, is death. The world cannot be told anything other than that. They have to know that. Now, many will look at their temple and say, yeah, but I'm not as bad as them or those and that place over there. They say, no, 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 you don't understand. Your house is desolate. It's empty. There's no God there. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Without me in you, without the Holy Spirit, without being born again, the wages of sin is death. This is going to happen. My neighbor's not going to heaven without Christ. He's not. She's not. They're not. And for me to wave at them and to think otherwise or to let it go is, well, it's a sleepiness that falls upon me. It's, a, it's an apathy. It's a coldness. I have to be careful. I don't care how great a neighbor they are. They could mow my lawn when I'm gone without me asking. That doesn't matter if they don't have Christ. That Maybe they didn't sin by burning my house down while I was gone, but they have sin in their life that needs to be paid for, and the wages of their sin is death. I have to remember that. The most neighborly thing I can do is to tell them that they need Jesus. And that there's a way of forgiveness for the things that they're hiding in their heart that they don't think anybody knows or realizes. But I know it because God said so. God said that everybody has sin. Everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. No matter what the appearance is on the outside, God said so. When I share the gospel with somebody, it is going to fall on the soil of their hearts. Whether it grows or not, I don't know. But I can give it knowing that that person needs it. There isn't a person in the world that doesn't need the gospel. They all need it. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, Paul, writing to that church in Colossae, describes what it means, or tries to explain to them that they need to continue. They need to stay grounded and steadfast in their faith. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So you're saved. You were alienated from God because of your sins, and he knew that, and so he reconciled you to himself by dying on the cross for your sins. And he's brought you in. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. There's a warning there. You need to continue in the faith. You need to stay grounded and steadfast. That's why I have my quiet times. It it is partially to prepare myself to minister to other people, but for the most part, it's to just fan the flames a little bit. Don't laugh at me if you're a farmer, but I'm working my way through this and figuring these things out. But I had a hedge post that just I could not pull out couldn't get it out for the life of me. I didn't know how deep it was. For all I know, it's 20 feet in the ground. And I'm yanking on something looking like an idiot, and it's underground going, you're never going to get me out. So I gave up, and I sawed that thing off. I drilled a hole down the middle, and I poured gas down that hole. You're going to burn. Nope. Didn't burn. So the next day, I'm looking at that stupid thing. It's laughing at me because it's just high enough because I couldn't get loaded. It's catching my mower. So I decided to pour a little more gas on it and light it again. Nope, didn't go. Today, I just poured and poured and poured and let it. Now it's just a big ash hole all the way down. It finally broke. I finally broke through this stupid thing and lit it on fire and burnt that thing down. And 
A post is gone now because it was in my way. Well, now what was I going to How did I tie that in? It's just a great story. No, no, there was a reason for it. There was a reason for it. Oh, Lord help. Oh, it, it just needed a little more fuel. That's the idea. It just needed a little more. One more time. I could have walked away and said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to do something and yank it out or get a get a skid load or something and tie something and pull it straight out of the ground or something. Cause I could, no, I just need a little more fuel, you know? And I, and I it may, may, may not be the greatest analogy, but in my, in my walk with the Lord, I, I, uh, I need to put some fuel on that fire. We, we need to stoke it. It's not this perpetual burning flame, you know? I mean, yeah, we have Christ and he's living water and he flows from us and all that, but there's a reason he's outside of five of the seven churches because somebody didn't do something right there. Uh, there's a reason he warns us to not grow cold. There's a reason for all of that, that we don't become dry, you know, in our So I need to do the things he's prescribed for me to do, whether I think I need them or not. I need to do them because it's, it's keeping me burning, you know? It's adding fuel to my life and to my walk with the Lord. I'm feeding the spirit. I need to feed the spirit. I feed the flesh. That's easy. I mean, all day long I could feed the flesh. My flesh loves so many different things, and it's so easy to feed. But my spirit, it's a different deal. So he warns about that. Make sure that your faith is grounded and steadfast and that you continue in it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 15. Do you not remember... That when I was still with you, I told you these things, and how, and now you know what is restraining that he may uh, be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work; only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one—he's talking about the Antichrist—he'll be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one who is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, and they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. I know there's a long cross-reference, but when the Antichrist shows up, when things begin to boil up, it's the ones standing fast that are able to withstand and to put up with and not be deceived and not be pulled off track. Not be lulled to sleep or brought into the latest whatever complaint or problem this world has to offer us to distract us from eternity, from my mission, for what I'm called to do. Stand fast, Paul says, because this is what it's going to be like in the last days. You need to stand fast. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and he's referring to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, that's one of the eeriest sections of Scripture right there for me. 
Because that's where Matthew, this tax collector, is writing about the end times and writing about seeing this false Christ stand in the temple and proclaim himself to be God. And he stops for a minute and puts this parenthetical statement in here and says, whoever reads, let him understand. You think about this. Somewhere between Revelation 6 and 19, the church is gone, the great tribulation begins, three and a half years into it, everybody thinks everything's going fine because this Antichrist shows up, he's brought peace, we built the temple, everything's great, and he steps into the temple that he helped build and says, okay, now, worship me, I am God. They're going to be searching scriptures at that point saying, oh, what have we done? How did we link ourselves up with this guy? Who is this guy? Why do we do this? Oh, what do we miss? And they're going to start reading the New Testament, which they don't read right now. The Jewish people do not have the New Testament, obviously. That's not their Messiah. It's our Messiah. They're going to realize they needed this Messiah. This is the Messiah we missed. And they're going to be reading here. And they're going to read about chapter 24, the end times. Oh, my goodness, that happened. Oh, that's what you did. And they're going to read. When you see, and they're going to be praying, God, give me an answer. What do I do? This guy's standing up and wants us to worship him. What is, what's my next step here? God, show me in your word. Imagine reading in your quiet time this section right here as the Antichrist has stepped into the temple and is being worshipped and he's asked you to do the same. Abomination of desolation. Whoever reads, let him understand. That's speaking directly to their heart in the middle of the great tribulation period. And the verse 16 tells them what to do. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down or take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. They're going to be reading this, trying to find a solution. What should we do? Do I run? Do I stay? say, don't even look back. Get out of there as fast as you can. The tribulation is coming so hard and fast that you're not even going to need that extra set of clothes. What you need to do is get out of your house because anybody that does not believe or worship this Antichrist is going down, and they're going to go down hard. So run. And they're going to read this. I'm so glad that I know Jesus because we're not a part of this. We get taken out before this. Our rapture takes place ahead of time. This, what's taking place here in Daniel, the prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, and what they're reading about here is for the Jewish people. It's their opportunity, their last seven years to accept Christ before judgment. And Jesus is explaining that to them and writing all these things down and giving them, probably looking directly at Matthew. Matthew, make sure you get this right and write it down. He says, you're going to see such a bad time that the world has until this time never seen anything this bad, nor will they ever see anything like that again. There's been no tribulation this bad, nor will there be afterward. This is the worst. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. It was, it's going to be just scorched earth. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And I want to take time on that because a lot of people think the elect means the church, and it's actually the Jewish people. The Jewish people are the ones that are called the elect throughout Scripture. They're the ones that are going to be gathered from the four winds, as he's going to describe. But we're gone at this point. The church is gone. It's for the elect's sake 
that they might come to know Jesus during this time. Um, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 describes this Antichrist. It says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So for seven years, he makes an agreement with the people of Israel. But in the middle of that week, three and a half years in, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, there, there are times when I'm like, well, could you just be clear? I mean, why does prophecy always have to be so, I don't know, I'm big, or, you know it's vague a lot of times. Like, I want some specifics. We, we have specific prophecies, but a lot of times there's this, I don't know how to describe it, you know? It's like, could you just give me a date and a time, you know? And there's a reason for that. God wants us living in a place where we're always looking for the return of Christ. He's not being, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not teasing us. I don't want to come across that way, but he does. If, if, if there was a time, I know me, I would wait till the day before, before I did anything about it. When's he coming? Whew, I got plenty of time. That's how I went through high school with all of my tests. You know, when's it due? Weeks. I got weeks to not do it you know, and then the night before I do it. So I understand. He wants us living in that place of expectation, that place of urgency. And so we've been running parallel with Jesus since the day of Pentecost, since he rose again from the dead. There's nothing else that has to happen for the church to be raptured. And so the church has been running alongside. We're not running to a point, to a place. We're running right alongside of him. And at any time, he can grab us and pull us away at any time. There is no moment necessarily that we know of. It's up to him when he comes and takes us home. That's what ticks off the time, that last seven-year period is when the church gets taken away. That's when the Great Tribulation, that's when that restraining force we just read about, when that is removed, that's us, filled with the Holy Spirit, evil just swoops in and fills that hole. That starts that Great Tribulation period at that point, seven years. You can count it off. So he warns about that. The elect. Then, if anyone says to you, verse 23, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. I'm telling you that ahead of time. Don't, you don't look for signs and wonders. That's not the evidence of them actually being the Christ or the prophet from God, because anybody can do those things. There's a lot of lying signs and wonders out there. No, you're looking for his word. You've got to trust his word. He never goes against his word, and this Antichrist will obviously go against his word. So that's what you're looking for. Don't be concerned about that. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as, for as the lightning comes from the east, it flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be. No one's going to have to tell you that Jesus is coming. You're, he's there as he's speaking to these people. You know, He will be there. You're going to see it. Um, I guess one of the most glaring examples, and I kind of pick on them a lot, is the Jehovah's Witness. And a lot of people don't know about the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're another denomination or just another group. No. Jehovah's Witness believe in 1917 that Jesus returned for the second coming. That he's here on earth right now, ruling and reigning this earth in the millennial, that we're in the millennial reign of Christ right now, and he's in a secret chamber in Brooklyn, New York, 
And he is running the world from there. And only the elders of the Jehovah's Witness, they go in and they get information. He's setting up his theocracy through them. And then he goes out and they go out and they tell through their magazines, Awake and Watchtower magazines, what Jesus has said from the secret chamber in Brooklyn, what they're supposed to do. And that's why they go door to door. We're, you know... That's one of those glaring examples. A lot of, if you didn't know, and they're right down the street. Everybody, where's your church? It's not the Jehovah's Witness. You got to go past the Jehovah's Witness place, okay? And then take a left, or, you know, that's a ex- perfect example. How, how do you explain this section of scripture? This is in their Bible, too. They have a kind of a funny translation, but it's still there. It says it's going to be big, and everybody's going to see him, and nobody's going to have to tell anybody about it. He's not going to be in the secret chamber. You literally just told me he's in the secret chamber in Brooklyn. How do you not see that? You know? Well, okay. But there's a lot of those guys out there. The, the Moonies, they believe that Sun Moon, he was the Christ. Uh, David Koresh, he said he was Jesus. They're all over the place. All over the place. And he says, don't believe them. They say he's in the desert. You're not going to go find him. You're going to see him. When he comes, he is big. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And that one we don't understand, really. Uh, At least I don't. And I don't have an explanation for that portion there. Uh, Could be during the Great Tribulation, there is a lot of dying going on. And so when you see a third of the earth dead and bodies everywhere, I mean, you can't bury everybody. There's a third of the earth. How do you bury would probably be at 9 billion by then. How do you bury 3 billion people? You know, they just died. What do you do? Um, and then it gets worse from there as the tribulation goes on. So wherever the carcass is, and the eagles, you're going to see him coming. When he comes back, you'll know what he says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with great sound, uh, with the great sound of a trumpet. Now, this is not of one of the seven trumpets in Revelation. Those are trumpets blown by angels. It's a whole different deal. This is the trumpet of God here um, that he's talking about in this section. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds. Uh, from one end of heaven to the other. So here's some scriptures on that, so we know who the elect is. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 4, For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name, I have named you, though you have not known me. Isaiah eleven twelve, He will set up a banner for nations, and will assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersion of Judah from the four corners of the earth. It's almost exactly the same passage, okay? They're talking about the same event is what they're talking about here. So um, Israel, he's talking about Israel. He's going to gather them together. He's going to bring them in um, when it's time. Um, Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these, these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation that sees Israel... 1948, and Israel became a nation again. It's never happened. There have been lots of nations that have been dispersed all over the land, but to come back and to become a nation again in their own land again, that's never happened before, and that's the fig trees talking about. When Israel came, became a, a nation, we, World War II was horrific. The Holocaust was horrific. 
but it's actually produced sympathy in many of the United Nations that caused them to say, give them their land back, let them have a place to go to. And it actually sparked this event, this fig leaf coming back to life. They were all over the world, but here they are, a nation back in the land again, and they will never leave that land again until Christ comes again. And we got to see that. That's in our lifetime for the most part, 1948. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So anybody that says this is the day he's coming, you can probably bet he's not coming that day. Nobody knows these things. There's nothing wrong with me thinking and even saying out loud, I don't know, I think Jesus is coming back next year. I don't know if he's coming back next year. I just, I think he could. I also think he could come tonight. But I don't do that. I don't do that on a normal basis and say, what I mean by that, and when someone says that, you got to be careful. Oh, they've named a day. They've named a time. Not not really. They're, They're thinking things are so bad that I can't see how he can't come. A lot of people thought he was coming in 84. Things just, everything lined up. Everything was weird. But nobody was saying he's coming. And they stood on top of a mountain looking up and waiting. You know, we're supposed to be doing that anyway, every day. You know, waiting for Jesus to return. But we need to know this. Whenever someone says this is exactly when he's coming, know for sure that they don't know. They can't say they know. The angels in heaven don't even know. Only his father knows. But as the days of Noah were, this is what we can do. We can look at the signs around us. Um, he even chastised the Pharisees and Sadducees. You, you guys look at the weather. You can tell by the skies what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. But you couldn't tell that I was coming? In fact, he expected them to be looking and taking the spiritual temperature of the world and should have known the Messiah was on his way. We're called to do the same thing. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. That's a, it's a surprise. It's not like the world doesn't know that they need a Savior, that Jesus is coming again. We've told them over and over and over again. They just have chosen not to believe it, and they will be surprised by it like they were. Yeah, 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 build a boat. Get on the boat. We've heard it for 100 years, Noah. Right. And then it rained finally. So for a hundred years, Noah was wrong, you know, until he was right. And that's the idea. Jesus is coming again. Well, you've been saying that forever. Mm-hmm. And we've been wrong up until this point. We don't know when he's coming, but when he comes, he's here, you know. Also, um, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what, the, uh, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, now here we see Jesus as a cat burglar, you know. It's hard to imagine him. Yeah, he's not going to announce that he's coming, you know. I'm here to rob you, Satan, of everybody that you've kept. No, I'm going to sneak in and take him. Therefore, you also be ready. It's interesting to think and speculate sometimes, how are they going to explain the rapture? How are you going to explain all the Christians leaving? You know, there's a lot of theories out there. Aliens. It's interesting how that's coming up all of a sudden, you know. 
not all of a sudden. I mean, I know this conspiracy had been around, but all of a sudden these footage and videos and everything, it's like, okay, why is this happening now? Is this a total distraction or what is, ha- is a red flag? What is this? What are we, what's going on? They're going to have to come up with something to explain it to everybody because they still want people to worship the Antichrist, but they don't want them thinking about God. So they have to explain about how all the people that told them that Jesus was coming and was going to take them away, that that really didn't happen. Something else happened. I don't know how they're going to do that, but they're going to have to figure something out. Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunkards, and master and uh, the master of the servant will come on that day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's trying to drive a point home here. You need to be looking. We need to be aware and ready to be watchful, to not walk away from the faith and say, I've been following Jesus since I was, I mean, my mom and dad brought me to church forever. I'm just kind of done with it. I'm ready to go do my own thing. He's not coming. What a bunch of fairy tales. I'm going to eat, drink, for tomorrow I die. He's going to show up, and they've walked away from the faith. And this is what the demise is. This is the, the problem. Not only does that life have nothing to offer you, but heartache and pain and leave a wake of destruction in your life, and many of us have been saved from that. And we know what that history looks like in our lives. But also, it's, it's, it takes away our hope, our future. The best way to live this life on this earth is truly walking with Jesus Christ. True or not, I believe it, and I want everybody to believe it and to know it, but true or not, it's the best way to live. To be kind, to be loving, to be long-suffering and patient, to be gentle, to be full of the Spirit, looking out for one another, singing with making melody in our hearts, all these things. And there will be in the last days people that just walk away. They get tired of it. They grow cold. And we have to be careful about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for, Jesus, we thank you for your emphatic warning to the disciples. You see all these things. You try to explain to the disciples what you're seeing, what will take place, and and to try to get them to see what you're seeing, to believe what you're saying It's only a work of your Holy Spirit in their lives that actually caused Matthew to remember all this and to write all this down for us. God, we heard this morning or this evening, we heard. Things aren't going to be okay. Things aren't going to go as they always have gone. That's what the world says. It's going to continue on as it always has. It, It won't. There are birth pangs taking place. We can sense it. We can feel it. We can see it in front of us. Help us to live that way with that earnest expectation of your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.